I'll be reading Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We are certainly thankful for every visitor with us. As always, we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking today at Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, triumphant in Christ. When you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, one of the things I think that stands out is that he realized Christ had made a difference in his life. And ultimately, what the gospel is designed for is to make a difference in your life, in my life. And those of us that have obeyed the gospel, who belong to the Lord, we are really a triumphant people. And I think sometimes we miss that sense of triumph and victory that belongs to us as God's children. And there are some reasons why we are triumphant. And I think that in light of the victory that we enjoy in Christ, it should bring about a sense of praise from our hearts. So today I want us to think about Galatians chapter 1. And the first thing that I would call your attention to in verse 3 as we begin to look at Paul's writing to the churches of Galatia, we first of all note that the Apostle Paul begins by saying, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. The first thing I would call your attention to has to do with the payment for sin. And what we're talking about here is that ransom. The one who gave himself as a ransom for our sins, that being Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself for our sins. In Matthew chapter 20, at verse 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. There are a couple of things I would call your attention to as we think about this payment for sin. Number one, those of us who are in the world, what we fail to understand sometimes is that we are being held hostage by sin. Did you know that those who are outside of Christ, they are literally prisoners of Satan? They have been taken captive, as Paul said, by him to do his will in 2 Timothy chapter 2. At verse 26, 
I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to watch a program that appears on, on cable. It is a program that focuses on intervention and really what, what happens during the program is that concerned family members will get together and try to intervene on behalf of a loved one that has some type of problem. Maybe it's some type of eating disorder. Maybe it's a problem that has to do with drinking, alcohol, or some type of substance abuse. But nonetheless, it's a problem. And what stands out in my mind is that typically they will focus on individuals who have some type of alcohol problem or uh, some type of uh, substance abuse problem. And it's interesting to me to see how the people portrayed on this program are literally enslaved to this way of life. Sometimes individuals have the idea that if they can live in sin, they're just at liberty to do as they want. They're not in subjection to the Lord, and so as, as a result of that, they're free. You just watch that program intervention sometime. And you note people that are literally enslaved to a bottle of alcohol. There was a lady that I remember watching on one of the, one of the programs. And she was so enslaved to alcohol that she would, her whole life just revolved around buying alcoholic beverages. And when she would get these bottles of alcohol, and they were small bottles, as soon as she got out to her car, she would literally begin turning those things out up and just emptying them. Now you tell me, is somebody like that really free? No. Well, that's, that's what sin does to people. It enslaves. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 8, verse 34. He talks about how those who commit sin, they are the bondservants. They are the servants of sin. And that's what people fail to understand. And so those in the world, they are the hostages of sin. They are the servants of sin. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6. But what we need to understand is the world has hope for sin. Paul counted himself as a chief among sinners. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now look again at what Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 3. Grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Paul understood that the answer to sin, the answer to the problem of mankind was and is Jesus Christ. He is literally our hope for sin. I like to think that you and I, we live in an age of hope. There are a lot of people in our world today, a lot of people in our country, that look around and they begin to assess the moral and spiritual condition of our country, and they'll oftentimes exclaim, look what our country is coming to. And I can understand that. I can certainly appreciate those sentiments. But as Christians, maybe what we need to do is step back and rethink or reassess the situation and realize that as Christians, as 
God's people, that we have a message of hope to a lost and dying world. And what we can tell people who are in this world, who are in this community is, look who has come into this world. Not so much look what the world has come to, but rather look what or look who has come into the world, that being Jesus Christ. Think about when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died for our sins. Now, what about the people in Corinth? What, what kind of people were they? Well, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, beginning, he said some of those people were idolaters, some were adulterers, some were fornicators, some were homosexuals, some were drunkards, some were thieves, some were revilers, some were extortioners. How do I know that? How do I know that those people in that that day and time were given to that kind of life, to that lifestyle. Well, in verse 11, Paul said, and such were some of you. But you see, the power of the gospel is it can transform the life of a person. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Paul could say that the gospel of Christ can literally change your life. It can transform your life. It can deliver you from this present evil age. So we think about the payment for sin. But then in the second place, I want you to know the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation simply revolves around redemption, the scheme of redemption. God was interested in you individually as well as me. And so when Paul wrote, he said, Grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Now listen to him. According to the will of our God and Father. Did you know that the scheme of redemption was because God willed it to be. God put a plan in place for us before this world was ever framed. John talks about the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God chose to save men and women in his son Jesus. There are two things I would call your attention to when we, when we talk about this scheme of redemption. First of all, we think about it in prophecy. The Old Testament is simply pointing people in the direction of the Messiah, the Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing people to the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. The New Testament is an affirmation that the revelation that had been given about the coming of the Messiah has now been fulfilled. And so go back to Genesis chapter 3. When mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? God began rolling out this plan of redemption. And so in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 15, God said, I will put enmity between 
thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise your heel and you shall bruise his head. That prophecy pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And when you begin reading the Old Testament, you find each and every one of those writers unveiling bit by bit and piece by piece the coming of this Messiah. For example, Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14 talks about how the Christ, the Messiah, would be born of a virgin. In chapter 9 at verse 6, he said, He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In chapter 53, he spoke of the suffering servant. He said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Over and over again, you have these prophecies speaking of the coming of the Christ. So you have God's will in prophecy and then in person. When Jesus made his entrance into the world, that angelic host cried out, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. I think about the coming of Jesus. Jesus was that word who existed in the very beginning with Almighty God. He, like God the Father, is an eternal being. And so in John chapter 1, John said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus existed in the very beginning. Micah, who foretold of the coming of the Christ, and he pinpointed his birthplace in Micah chapter 5. And he speaks of the Christ, he said, whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. Here is Jesus, this word who ultimately became flesh for us. In John 1 verse 14, John said, the word was made flesh. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Hebrews chapter 10 the Hebrew writer said, speaking of Christ, Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Verse 8. Christ came to do the will of God. And so while Jesus was upon this earth, what was he doing? He was announcing that his desire was to fulfill his Father's will. That is, he came in fulfillment of the scheme of redemption. He was the one upon whom the scheme of redemption would ultimately rest. And so, we can read of Jesus saying in John 4 verse 34, My work is to do the will of him who sent me. Or the will of the Father who sent me. In John 6 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. When Jesus prayed 
in the shadow of the cross in John 17 at verse 4. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And then you recall while hanging upon the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Jesus came to fulfill God's will. And so today, when you and I talk about redemption, when we talk about the fact that we have been saved, we need to understand it's because of what God through Christ has done for us. But then there's a third thing let me call your attention to. We talk about this payment for sin, and then we think about the plan, this plan involved a Savior. But then in the third place, praise. The praise that is offered by a servant. Look again, verse 3, grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think Paul can step back and reflect upon what the Lord had done for him. One of the things that we have the opportunity to do every first day of the week is to remember the death of Christ on Calvary. When we partake of the bread, we are reminding ourselves of the body of Jesus given in our stead. And Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus, as Peter said, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Then we reflect upon the blood of Christ, which is the blood of the New Testament, shed for our sins, for the remission of our sins, as Jesus said. We have the opportunity to reflect upon that. It would be good if all of us thought each and every day about the great sacrifice made on our behalf. What about Paul? Paul said to to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me just call your attention, first of all, to the fact that Paul could think back about his conversion. Do you remember when you were converted to Christ? Do you remember when you made the decision to become a child of God? We said just a moment ago that Paul deemed himself the chief of sinners. In other words, if... If you were to, to have asked Paul, Paul, how do you classify yourself? He would have said, listen, as far as sinners go, I'm at the top of the list. I am, I am the rankest, the worst of all sinners. But look, look at what he says in verse 15. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul had been converted to Christ. Ananias had stood before him and said, Why are you waiting? Why tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul had experienced the blessings associated with being converted to Christ. Paul was a changed man, and you can read about his life. Note how Paul the the persecutor became Paul the persecuted. Paul went everywhere preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. He was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ because of that conversion story that we can read about in the New Testament. 
Paul was not just converted to Christ. Not only does he address his conversion to Christ, but he also talks about his consecration to Christ. In Galatians 6.14, he said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ to whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul had died to sin. The one who had ultimately persecuted the church who had sought to wreak havoc on God's people was now a changed man. And because of that change, He was now consecrated to the Lord. He was out of the sinning business. He was no longer living as a zealous Jew trying to destroy the church, but rather he was one who sought to preach the Christ. And then I think about his commitment. Look at Galatians 2 verse 20. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Have you been crucified with Christ? He said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I, I look at the life of a man who took it very personally. What God had done for him, it was personal. I think sometimes we miss that, that personal touch, if you please, in the gospel. We talk about it in broad terms, in general terms. And we make these sweeping declarations and we talk about it maybe in a corporate sense, but what we need to do is understand it on a personal level. Paul said, Christ died for our sins. Yes, that's true. But he also said, speaking of the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul wrote to the various people of his day and he spoke of the love of Christ, I think Paul understood it on a personal level. Now when we can translate it into a personal level, that's when it becomes meaningful. And that's when we can literally praise God for what he has done. Why do you think Paul lived in praise to God because he realized what the Lord had done for him. He could bask in the glow of the death of Christ. And so, in closing, let me just ask this question. Are you living a triumphant life in Christ? We talk about victory in our society today. Nobody likes to lose. In the athletic world, everything centers on a win. It's about victory. It's about being triumphant. Let me tell you, if you're in sin, it's a lose-lose proposition. You're losing. You're not, going, you're not going to win in sin. But if you're in Christ, you are victorious. You have, you have triumphed. And you are on the road to victory. One day, we're going to stand before the Lord. And wouldn't it be great if we had the, wouldn't it be great if we had the confidence of Paul?
who in the long ago said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness awaits all of us. What do we need to do? First of all, we have to believe that he is the Son of God, Hebrews 11. We have to be willing to repent of sin, that is, to turn from a life of sin, just like Paul did. Renounce it, give it up, get out of the sinning business. And then we have to be willing to confess his name before other people. I think about the eunuch in the long ago when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Would you be willing to make that good confession this hour? Then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. To know that every sin is washed away, that you are redeemed, cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you're here today and you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, could we encourage you to come home? We would be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?